So we were just talking about how bad Aaron Schneider sucks at bow hunting. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> I say Aaron Schneider has no self control. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why he went to a trad bowl. <laughs> Aaron was uh, Aaron, I've known Aaron a lot of years and it's been fun watching him uh, move from a guy that was an absolute killer with a, a just a normal bow, you know, then some people say he took the training wheels off and went to the trad bow. And he's flat told me over the phone. He's like, I did it because I wanted to prove to people I could do it with the right. trad bow. And he yeah. did it. Yeah. Like he successfully did it. And I don't, I'm not aware of anyone else that is like a public figure that kills as many people with a trad bow. There's always those outliers. Did you say kills as many people? Well, you uh, you know whoops. something about Aaron that I, I don't. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, that's it a, wouldn't surprise That's a Rambo me. type. You know? Situation, isn't it? We're always looking for uh, <laughs> sound bites. I'm sure. Let's <laughs> still get us started. I'm sure. No, nah, so, you're gonna gosh. get a text from Aaron after oh, this, yeah. going, "I don't kill people with a bow." Yeah, <laughs> come with my hands, man. Come on, what's the sporting fun in that? <laughs> well, I guess I'll go ahead and apologize right now. This has forever been recorded. So. Well, it's it's Aaron. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. excuse me, the spicy water. Um, it. You know, he's such a cool guy. We, we we got a chance to just shoot a couple arrows, hang out for yesterday morning, basically mm-hmm. the entire morning. I've known him for a long time. So I had him on my first podcast, yeah. which was Launch Code, and him and Gritty were on. Mm-hmm. Same Aaron. Same exact Aaron. That's it hasn't right. changed. Yes. Even with the new CEO title of mm-hmm. Kafaru, it just hasn't changed. That's true. I was teasing him recently. I said, somebody gave you a budget? That's kind of scary, Aaron. Yeah. Kind of scary. No, he's a good dude. I've known him for, oh my gosh, 15 years. First time I ever met him, he wasn't even in the hunting industry. He walked up to me at a show in Denver, and uh, we, he was asking you know, area advice in Colorado. Right. Just moved to Colorado or, and was trying to figure out where to hunt. So yeah. he's a good dude. He's a good dude. I, I've appreciated my friendship with him for a very long time. Um, I've not had the opportunity just because schedules are incredibly busy and you know, I've not ever hunted together, but I've thoroughly enjoyed watching him grow in yeah. a variety of ways. That mm-hmm. part, like when we've had office discussions after he calls, it's like, this is cool watching him, his evolution. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's really interesting to see anybody that's that committed and passionate mm-hmm. about something and you can see it. Yeah. He has a, he has a, a lot of mission focus. Mm-hmm. And I, I love watching people like that. I love watching. That's what social media for me is all about, to be honest with you. Like, you tune into that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't give a shit about Twitter. I, I, I don't even get on that thing, man. I, don't even, I, I get on it for like five seconds. Talk, you know, if I'm like having a bad day, I'll talk shit to somebody and that's about it. And then I'll, I'll get off and just be like, oh, that's funny. I don't even know if I have Twitter followers. I know I'm on there because you made me do it, but I, right. but I don't even have followers. Yeah. I, I've never been on it. At... Baker convinced us about a year ago that, you know, Twitter is something that we need to at least have a presence on. And so he talked with Ike at the Everly Stock Out There event about it. And we really, we put a lot of effort into it. And then 2020 happened. And Twitter has turned into a black hole that I had to just get off of because I, 
you know, it turns me into a conspiracy theorist if I stay on there way too long. Oh, yeah. It's not healthy mentally. So I just have to, this is my 15 minutes of Twitter day and I'm done. <laughs> I can't handle it anymore. I got in there this morning and, uh, and it's super funny because, you know, people, I think they're just professional trolls and they jump on there just, just to talk shit, which is, hey, if that's your thing, I just, I don't really have the time for yeah. that. And, uh, but I do find a, a mild amount of entertainment with it where I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm in, I'm out, I post, and then I just forget about it yeah. and leave. I think that was just some some sage advice from from a friend who's he, he's like, don't even read the comments. Who gives a shit? Just move on with your life. So just get on, post, yep. get out. Don't worry about it. Watch all your time, your screen time mm-hmm. start to decrease on your mobile device. You'll be a much happier guy yep. at the end of the day. That's why I start doing the same thing with Facebook and Instagram. Just watch my, you know, trying to get my screen time down because not only do I get just angry, but it's a giant time suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sit there and go, holy crap, what did I do with the last 20 minutes? I could have been, I could have done 50 burpees. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to do burpees, but you could have. Yeah, they're much more beneficial than scrolling through Twitter. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Well, I, I suppose I should introduce you guys. That's probably the one yeah. thing. Or, you know, that's probably more beneficial for yep. you guys to introduce yourself. So who the hell do I have here today? <laughs> Let's start with Ike. Uh, Ike Eastman. Um, president and owner of Eastman's Publishing. We have uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's oh, yeah. Hunting Journal, and Eastman's Hunting TV, and then a plethora of other stuff beyond the grid, which is a YouTube TV show, and uh, Eastman Elevated, which is a big game, uh, Western big game podcast. We have Wingman, which is a podcast TV show about wing hunting, you know, bird hunting, and uh, Flycast, which is a podcast about fly fishing. Bring that mic in oh, a little bit. There yeah. you go. Sorry. That so. Better? Yeah, well, this is, um, and we'll get into this. So I'll, I'll switch to you, and then we'll come back. Yeah. But then, so I am Scott Reekers. I am Ike Eastman's digital media director. Um, over the course of time, my job's evolved. I'm also doing a lot of business development. In the last couple of years, that's kind of one of those. I, I went from a sales to business relationships right. and things of that nature. In the last little while, we've seen our digital He's my department token grow. millennial. He wow! He, he was born in '83. Okay, it's the last year. Is that the last yeah, year? It's like millennial? second, the last year of millennial. Maybe you could be qualified that. So I guess I'm the token millennial. Don't tell my wife that if she's watching, she will tease me for forever. And so, but that's my role there. All the digital media that comes out of Eastman is my responsibility to make sure that it happens and is distributed, and work on relationships like this one. So Eastman's it's been around for a couple of years. Just a couple. Yeah, one, yeah. one or two. I, I think it'd be interesting. Generations. Like walk us through the the history yeah. and the evolution. Yeah. And so, you don't have to summarize it. You can take as much time as right. you want. Usually I have an elevator pitch about this. So, no, you don't so need so an elevator, don't, don't man. Yeah. Right. So 1957, um, when the 57 Chevy was, was popular, if you can right. imagine that. My grandfather, who was living in Washington State, decided, you know what? I want to go to Alaska and guide hunters. And it was starting to become a, a quite a, a big thing. In retrospect, it was the beginning of it. Right. And he started guiding hunters for a couple seasons. Then he said, you know what? I think there's an audience because he would bring photos. He always liked taking photos. He'd bring photos home and show photos of polar bears and dull sheep and caribou and stuff to people. And they're just in awe. Pretty soon he found an audience. He's standing there showing photos and there's 50 people standing around in his neighborhood wanting to see all the photos. He's like, man, I, I think I can take a, a camera up there, a 35 millimeter uh, camera up there and film some of this stuff and bring it back. And then I'll show them. And so it right. just kind of progressed. 
into pretty soon he was doing that, taking film, bringing it back to high school auditoriums and live narrating a polar bear hunt. Now, he never showed uh, until in the 80s, he never showed a kill scene because he always said, uh, he always told us kill scenes are the easy way out. Show the animal. People want to see the animals. Want right. to see how they're, you know, how they are in their own natural environment. And so he would bring all the stuff back, and he would pack high school auditoriums all over the country: Pennsylvania, Washington, California. Almost daily. Now I'll get an email or a text message or a Facebook message or whatever it says. Hey, I remember watching your grandfather's stuff. I was a little kid in the auditorium in Spokane, Washington. And I watched him bring the polar bear because he had, which this polar bear is actually in my brother's living room. He had a life-size mounted polar bear that he started traveling with and they put it on stage. And you can imagine my grandfather six foot and there's a, an 11 foot bear sitting, you know, standing behind him and then him showing that bear hunt and right. all this crazy, you know, dog sleds. And what, oh, he went to, uh, he went to Point Hope, Alaska and uh, it was early in the 60s and hung out with the Eskimos for two seasons. The first season, uh, it's, this is all documented on a uh, movie called North, North of the Sun. And the first season was really lonely because the Eskimos didn't talk English, didn't speak much English. And they didn't want anything to do with him because he was an outsider. So he spent almost three months in the winter by himself just trying to get these people to warm up to him. And then he had a friend who, uh, Warren Johnson, and another couple guys, they went out on a polar bear hunt. they take these float planes, well, it was ski planes then, super clubs, and they went out on the ice pack and they would shoot polar bear. You know, everybody would shoot one or two polar bear. They went out there one time, shot a huge polar bear. Would have been the world record by significant amounts. They measured it on the ground, put it in the super cubs, and they came back. And as they come back, they hit a headwind. And ended up running out of fuel and landing the plane on the ice, what they called slush. It was a slush cake. So it's not really ice. It's right. slush. Yeah. They landed down. And this is all documented in that. Landed on this uh, slush and the plane immediately starts to sink. So they crawl out the plane, knock a hole in the back of the plane, and they sit on the plane for the night because the wings hit the slush. And it's got enough buoyancy to hold their weight. So they sit all night in the middle of winter, 60 below zero, 40 mile an hour wind, all night. And think, you know, there's a line in there. So he says, uh, at this moment, I knew I'd seen my kids for the last time. They sit there all night. And then the next morning, the tide comes in, breaks the airplane up, and the airplane sinks. And they, so they spend the next day uh, jumping from small ice chunk to small ice chunk to small ice chunk till they find one big enough to hold both of their weights. They have nothing with them. I mean, it's, I think they had both had a down sleeping bag, which is worthless when it's wet. Right. And they had their clothing, you know, wet from their head to their toes. And they find one big enough to hold them. And the second night, of course, it, it's dark almost all day this time yeah. of year. Second night, they hear an airplane fly over really low, really slow. And, and uh, he said, one of the worst things ever is when that airplane comes and you're yelling and screaming and waving. And you think, they just think we're seals. They're oh, just yeah. black dots on the ice. The plane leaves, flies off. Oh, my gosh. And so they spent the next day on the same shelf, cuddled, you know, snuggled up trying to survive. Yeah. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink, you know, melting the snow to, to survive uh, hydrated as much as you can. The third day, an airplane flies by and drops 
a raft and the raft goes through the island. Poosh! And sinks because it never, it was supposed to, it was supposed to uh, fill with air on the way down. Yeah. And it doesn't. It goes right through the ice. So then a storm comes in. So they wait another night. The second or the fourth, the fourth day, a plane shows up and they drop one of those shelters that they had in the Navy. Yeah. For the Northern Sea, and it lands on the ice, and they crawl in it, and then it, and then they finally get rescued, and an airplane is able to, or I think it was an airplane they were able to land. Find a, the ice had melted or froze enough they were able to land an airplane and come get them, and so flew back to to Wyoming. You know, he's dehydrated. This is all in the newspapers. You can imagine, because my grandmother, who had four kids at the time, three kids, three boys at the time, um, you know, listening to all this, she's widowed you can imagine right and uh flies back to wyoming and recovers flies back up there because he didn't tell the story his deal and my grandfather was an adventurer everybody in my family has a sense of adventure i I don't want to do anything unless it's adventurous right it's just it's pointless for me and so flies back up there and now because he went on the ice got stranded and came back he's like a god to them and so they you know, open arms, bring him in. They build him mucklucks and they take him out on, on uh, the dog sleds and they hunt ducks and they hunt seals and they hunt polar bear. And then he gets invited to the wolf or to the whale hunt, which is a huge thing you can imagine. Right. And they literally go out and skin boats in, in uh, yeah. caribou skin boats and they go out on the ocean and they, they kill the whale, drug it up and he helped the whole thing and documented it all in video. So he was an adventurer and that's one of thousands. I could I could sit here for two hours and tell Gordon Eastman stories about uh, him. He landed in, and uh, he landed him and Warren Johnson, same guy, flying up the the Alaska Highway in a Super Cub, and they land because you know you have to refuel every so often. So the U.S. military had fuel uh, stops all the yeah. way up that highway. <clears throat> they land to refuel, and when they land, they blow a tire. Plane dives. Bounces the prop off the ground, prop strike, bends one of the props, tires blown, and they're in the middle of nowhere. And this is, there's no radios. People are like, well, they went north and we haven't seen <laughs> right. them for a month. I don't know. I'm <laughs> right. Probably dead. Right. So they sit there for a couple of days hoping somebody else would land or come up with a vehicle or whatever. Nothing. So they have this idea. They're like, well, I think we can take the tire on the airplane, fill it with, with uh, willow boughs, right. and sew it shut with our, with our boot strings. And then we can take the prop off and beat it somewhat straight enough to take off with one of us in the airplane. So they do this. Warren Johnson takes off, who's, who's the pilot, takes off for Whitehorse. And uh, Grandpa's sitting there for three days waiting for somebody to come get him, hoping that Warren didn't crash on the way yeah. or something and nobody knows he's there. Right. And here comes two more Super Cubs back to pick him up. It's just story after story after story just like that. It's crazy. And the irony of that is first time... First time I ever heard that story told, not like Gordon, Gordon, you know, actually narrating it or anything like that. But the first time I ever heard Ike tell that story, we're standing by a campfire six miles deep in a backpack hunt, getting snowed on six inches. Like, so the the adventure just kind of permeates through everything that Eastman's does. And shares a cold night, a miserable night. My tent leaked. Well, and I woke up swimming. I wasn't miserable. I was in a Hilleberg. I won't mention the other. (laughs) I was not. I poured enough water out of that tent that night to fill this Yeti. (laughs) (laughs) His pad was floating. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. We've been there. Yeah, I've been there. So anyway, so uh, that's 
who my grandfather was. And then he, he went, took all that and started building theatricals and did some filming for uh, Walt Disney, some wildlife filming for Walt Disney and uh, hung out in, in Hollywood quite a bit. And then in the seventies, I, I was, he, my dad always says that my grandfather went through three fortunes because he was just, he was an adventurer. So if he had money, there was an adventure to be had. Right. right? Yeah. And so in the seventies, he, uh, kind of all this pared down and my dad was an outfitter. My dad, um, my grandfather was doing all this stuff in the sixties and seventies. My dad was in Vietnam for two tours. And so my dad would come home on leave and he, he, instead of going to Wyoming, he'd be in British Columbia, you know, he'd land in British Columbia or Yukon and spend his, his leave hunting moose or hanging out. They had a cabin in the middle of nowhere in British Columbia and, uh, with, they had wolves. It's a completely different story. They, trapped some wool or got wolf pups and grew three generations of wolves to study them to see, you know, what the apex predator really was like and crazy things like that. So my dad's in Vietnam, comes back, becomes an outfitter uh, in Wyoming. You know, high country mule deer hunting is his, that's his forte. He just loved high country mule deer hunting. And then uh, outfitting kind of wasn't his deal for various reasons. He's not a huge people person. He would be not great here. <laughs> <laughs> completely nervous and right very shy um but he uh then in the 80s they they took these theatricals and put them on vhs and back in the day you remember this they actually had video stories like blockbuster oh yeah and you would sell the vhs tapes to blockbuster and they would rent them out and so they took all these theatricals and put them on vhs and my dad and a couple other guys would travel all over the country to every single store and they would sell these VHS tapes. My dad's sitting in, in the Harrisburg show, the Great American Outdoor Show. And it, at the time, and I think today still, is one of the largest outdoor hunting shows on the planet. It's huge, huge. And he's sitting there selling videos. And it occurs to him that all these guys from Pennsylvania want to come out west elk hunting. But they don't know how to do it. They don't right. know that there's public land everywhere out here. They, right. they don't understand it. And so he... Uh, <laughs> He comes up with this idea. He's like, I'm going to put together a newsletter that is like, you know, a little pamphlet that's fact sheet on how to come out West hunting. Because if right. I can get these guys to come out West hunting, they'll buy more of my videos, you know, self. Self-licking ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, builds this pamphlet, turns into a magazine, you know, turns into a newsletter. Then it turns into a magazine. And uh, he did, started it in 1987. By 1997, it's a full-fledged publication. And... uh starts, long story short, he starts the, uh, that was the Eastman's Hunting Journal. It morphed into Eastman's Hunting Journal and he spun off a bow hunting magazine called Eastman's Bow Hunting Magazine. Then with that spun off, there was this crazy little TV network called the Outdoor Channel. (laughs) And they were actually gold panning is how it all, the Outdoor Channel started. What? Two guys, two guys started the Outdoor Channel. Are you serious? Yeah, they bought a Christian network. Like, you know, back in the satellite days, you had to have a network that would then (laughs) stream to satellites. There was a Christian network that was going under. And so these two guys that wanted to put their show on TV about gold panning couldn't find anyone that would take it. So they bought their own network and put gold panning on. Well, they go, well, that's great, but we can't have gold panning 24 hours, seven days a week. We need some outdoor content. So they started going to (laughs) TNN, which is now... Like yeah, yep. TNN yeah. had like Real yep. Tree Outdoors and Mossy Oak Obsession Shut and all up. these TV shows, and yep. they would they would get reruns mm-hmm. and put them on the Outdoor Channel. 
my dad came up to the guy's name was Wade Sherman. Dad walked up to him at the shot show one day and said, I have a TV show I want, I want to put on your network. Oh, great. Yeah, whatever. When you get a pilot, let me know. He goes, I have a pilot. He goes, okay, when you get a season, you know, send me the pilot. And then when you get a season, let me know. He goes, I have a season. I have like, I don't know, 27 episodes already filmed. Wait, what? And it's on what? Western Big Game? The whole thing is on Western Big Game. That's it. I said, yeah. Okay, send them to me and I'll look. And then two weeks later, they go, yeah, we want this. So they put it on the Outdoor Channel and, you know, advertising back then was a pain because nobody believed in outdoor TV. Yeah. There was no money in it. Right. And uh, so they started the TV show and we fought tooth and nail for, for uh, that was in 99, for probably close to five or six years on the Outdoor Channel with not very many sponsors, you know, little sponsors. And, and then it started blowing up and we went 52 weeks in 2007 and it's been on every week since then. So... That's that story. I bought the company. My dad's uh, 74. Um, my brother and I bought the company in 2008. And uh, it was pretty much the two magazines and the TV show. Right. And then uh, I recently, uh, my brother's significantly older than me. I won't tell him how old. <laughs> he's older he enough. He's still old you. enough and big enough to beat me up. <laughs> um, but he's significantly older and he's, he's wanting to step away from the, the business part of it and do the stuff he wants to do. We call it, in our family, we call it retread. You don't retire, you retread. Yeah, yeah. Do the things you want right. to do, not the things you have to do. Right. And uh, so I bought it from him a few years ago. Uh, he's still involved, still does the stuff he wants to do. He still mm-hmm. writes, he still hunts as much as he wants. Uh, he still, he loves our, our uh, Wyoming MRS, which is the research tool we have in the magazine. Right. And in Tag Hub, mm-hmm. um, it's all the different areas and licenses and all that stuff. He's a he's a, a savant with numbers, um, and he's really creative, yep. which is unique. And then, uh, so w- I when we bought it, I took the magazine and the television show because we bought it in 08. And if everybody remembers what happened in 09, everything crashed. Yeah. And they said media, you know, print media is dead. Yeah. Traditional media is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we were, I'll never forget the day I was sitting on a on a uh, my boat fishing with the guy that printed my magazine and we were just chewing the fat. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do. Print media is, you know, they're telling me print media is dead. I don't know what we're going to do. And he goes, I'm the one in trouble. He says, you're not. The content you provide, people still want. You're just going to deliver it in a different way. Right. I went, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. So we started Beyond the Grid, uh, which is a television show that's on YouTube, but it's mm-hmm. on a bunch of other stuff. Yep. Waypoint TV, it's on Amazon, yeah. Prime, all this yep. stuff. Yeah. And because uh, it's just a different way to, that you're getting a different audience, mm-hmm. delivering it a different way. And then we started a blog and a newsletter that's almost 200,000 people strong now. And we send them content three or four times a week and they read the content and tips and tactics and the hunting stories and the gear reviews and all that stuff. So we're delivering the same stuff as yeah. the magazines, just in a different way. Right. And we're doing it to come to find out a new audience, people yeah. that aren't mm-hmm. traditional print media guys. Right. They're not going to go subscribe to a magazine right. and pay you 25 bucks to subscribe and you mm-hmm. get the content. Um, so I grew it to that, to what it is now, almost doubled the company size. And mm-hmm. uh, even through all the craziness, uh, pandemic, oddly enough, for our audience has been a pretty good deal. Yeah, I would imagine. Because right? people, people have a lot are of time. home, they got yeah. some time. And I've noticed that where... I'll pick up more magazines now. Like one, I hate reading online magazines on my mobile yeah, device. It's it, just, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, yesterday I was looking through um, 
Bass Pro were in the new Bass Pro catalog. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was actually mm-hmm. looking for my ad, like an arrogant, <laughs> like an arrogant prick. And, um, this is, is follow through, making sure it's in there, right? Checking it out. <laughs> Look at me. Um, <laughs> but I was like, ah, oh, this is great. And then I found myself looking through it mm-hmm. and enjoying the experience of a catalog in because I really haven't had a catalog, right. no shit yeah. catalog for, I don't know, however many years. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at lures and I was like, oh, this is really cool. But I, I, I had that exact thought. I was like, man, this is really cool. And I picked up a few journals. Like I really like the... um you know, the, the well done higher end, like magazines are full of ads most right. of the time, mm-hmm. which is quite possibly the only reason why I don't buy them is that's, because they're just full of fucking ads. That's why yeah. we keep it. We, we have a, a percentage. Yep. It's, it's no more than 40% of our magazine will ever be ads. Right. And the ads in it aren't, you know, it's all specific. It's, it's going to be a savage rifle ads. It's going to be mm-hmm. a Bowtech ad or, right. or a Hoyt ad or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be specific to, to the magazine. And, we have a, my mom's name's Birdie. <laughs> so we have a Birdie principle. And it, so you're not going to see male enhancement drug ads. You're not going to see tobacco ads. Right. You're not going to see alcohol ads. Not that there's anything wrong with those. Yeah. I just don't want them in my magazine. Sure. I don't want, I want my kids to be able to flip through it and read the articles and mm-hmm. not wonder what's in there. Right. So, um, and that's why, because we felt the same way. That's why we call it a journal. It's right. Because it's not full of ads. It's specific ads that make sense to you as a hunter. Mm-hmm. And, and, then you get benefit out of not just the ad, but the stories and the articles and everything else. But you're right. When people pick it up, they're like, it feels like something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a gritty cover on it. It feels like a hunting magazine. It's substantive, right? It's, yeah. It feels important. Mm-hmm. And I think most everything else, you know, this, you can forget about the magazine that you read online, yeah. right? Yeah. You can forget about that. It's super easy. But if you have a really good journal or magazine, you keep it. It stays on your... It stays on your coffee table. You take it home. You roll it. You throw it. You know. You throw it in your briefcase or whatever it is. It's substantive. Yep. yep. And the other thing with, I think, I find myself with with your cell phone is, I mean, how long does it take before you get a notification? You're reading something, some article you like, and 15 seconds later, you get a notification, and you find yourself reading an email, answering a text message, and yeah, you know, some social media post something, and you, so it's not, you don't get to escape. No. In a magazine, you get to escape, fully escape and, and entrench yourself in whatever content you're reading. And as a nerd, like there's a nostalgia piece to it because yeah. I worked at a grocery store when I was in high school. And of course, the newsstand came out. Well, there were like yeah. five of us that we all hunted and we loved big mule deer. And so we were constantly waiting for the next issue of Eastman's to come out. Right. And so we're, we would literally all take our turn with the one magazine that we could afford because we're a bunch of high school kids trying to figure out, you know, how to shell out enough gas to go do what we want to do on the weekends. So we'd buy this one copy and we'd read it on our breaks and we would literally wear the copy of Eastman's out. Then, you know, okay, we might read the others afterwards just to get a little more, but Eastman's was the one we wanted because it, it, it felt substantive. But then on top of that, for me, there's a nostalgia to it. Mm-hmm. Like picking that magazine up and seeing it, it I sound old now, but it brings me back to the good old days. Like those memories of the early 2000s when, you know, region good G, old days. It is, it is what it is. <laughs> Damn millennials. <laughs> I know. Um, but 
it brings me back to those days where, you know, I didn't know any better than just a Snickers bar and, you know, those boots that I bought at Walmart to, to go up the trail and that sort of thing it brings back those memories. And to me, that's a nostalgia you can't get with a phone. And I'm saying this as a digital media director. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a nostalgia that's associated with this. Yeah, I love seeing all the content on digital and it's my job to grow it. But on the same end, I don't think that the nostalgia of holding something like that is ever going to go away. I would agree. I, I I think when people say things are dead, they they say things. I and obviously those are blanket statements. Mm-hmm. Like print is dead. No, mass produced, um, low quality mm-hmm. uh, advertising yep. is dead. We'll call yep. that. We'll, we'll just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. It's dead. But I don't think people. It, it will never run out of style to turn a page. Yep. There's too much of a visceral experience to be able to, to feel the crisp mm-hmm. corner of a page when you're turning it. Um, it's interesting. I just read a book, which sounds weird, but mm-hmm. I just read a book the other day or the last couple of weeks. And it hasn't... I haven't had a uh, read a book in two years, probably. A physical book. A physical book. Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got them on my tablet right. and Audible. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm listening to a book typically every week, depending on what I'm doing. So, but I'm listening to them, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I, for years, I mean, this is my, you know, my small little library, right? But for years, I would read a book a week. Mm-hmm. And it was a different, it was, it was an interesting experience only because I was like, man, this is uh this is something that I truly do miss. Right. And the only reason I, I read the book was I was having a hard time sleeping. My wife gave me the book. She was like, you need to just try to read and go to bed. And then I stayed up till like two o'clock in the morning reading a fucking book. Um, <laughs> you <might as> well. <laughs> You're like, well, that thank you. Work great. <laughs> that worked great. I appreciate it. <laughs> was this supposed to be boring? I know. It wasn't. <laughs> Maybe I need to find a different subject. <laughs> I know. So where, where are you originally from then? Are you from Colorado originally? Nope. 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 Uh, I was actually born and raised in uh, Wyoming, uh, okay. fifth generation Wyoming. Yeah. And uh, never, I went to college there, never left. I decided in high school that I was never going to move outside of Wyoming for the recreating opportunities we have is is second to none. Where do you guys live? Uh, Cody, well, Powell, Wyoming. Okay. We're about 70 miles east of Yellowstone. So we live in a re- the pretty part. Right. The, the really nice, the really nice part. I mean, are you out there too? Yep. I, okay. I, I lived, moved to Powell in 2014. Actually, just had seven year anniversary with Eastman. So we've been Grew there. Grew Rock now. Springs. God bless you. <laughs> yes, I did. Beautiful I place. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> See, all right. I, since I have a platform and we've opened up the Rock Springs, please. Wormhole, yeah. So for some reason, I, well, and this is history of Rock Springs, I understand why it happened. Rock Springs was actually four mining camps. And so the interstate wove through these four different mining camps when it was built. Yeah, it was all coal. So Rock Springs has several claims to fame. One is a um, 48 hours show that talked about the mafia that was there. That was interesting. My dad moved there in 82 and this stuff was all like 79, 80 yeah, when all that stuff was going mafia. on. This is and so, yeah, it was, seriously? Yeah, mafia. yeah, like it was, it was pretty nuts. Like, um, I I won't go into that wormhole because that's a whole. You could do a whole podcast. Right. And find those find the people involved with that. 
So everybody knew that when my dad moved there in 18, like, sure, you want to move to Rock Springs? It's like, yeah, it's out west. I want, I want to go go hunt and be out there, you know, and right. that sort of thing. And so they moved. Um, Mom had a job within an hour of dad's interview. Like she actually got hired as a teacher before dad even finished his interview. And so I, I was born in 83. Um, but Rock Springs, unfortunately, is all the rough areas of town are visible from the interstate. Right. Uh, so I, I, I don't understand why that has happened. And like the longer I've been away from there, the more you notice things. And so Rock Springs has a lot of great people that I grew up with. My best friend still lives in that Rock Springs, Green River area. And so there's, but it's a hard town, man. It, it's a, it's a very hard town because it's, it, there's a lot of oil field boom. Yep. Um, Trona actually took a hit with this last year. That That's rare. Um, I know miners there took a 10% pay cut just to keep their mines running, that sort of thing. But Trona is usually the stalwart in Sweetwater County. Right. And so that happened. Um, but for some reason, they they put every rough neighborhood visible from the interstate. So Rock Springs gets a terrible reputation. And then, of course, we had the mafia late 70s, early 80s, and that boom. So, you know, that's our claim to fame. <laughs> I just know it from getting gas. That's that's how I know it. <laughs> well, I just know it from getting gas. That's it. And that's it's, it. You're on, you're off, and you're like, <laughs> just as fast as you can do it. This is true. It, yeah, it's true, right? I, yeah. it, it, Rock I've never actually met this? somebody from Rock Springs. I don't try to talk to them. When I'm there. <laughs> Do I need to get all their teeth? <laughs> <laughs> ouch, ouch, Ike. Ouch. I'm getting off No. Um, it's Sweetwater County is like, it's a mule deer hunting, uh, like they're nuts there. About <clears throat> you guys are going to have to explain this to me because I've heard this now from both of you. When people catch the muley bug, mm-hmm. why? What, what is going on in their brains? I, okay, so I, I firmly believe there, um, this is going to be a rabbit trail. Please. Um, there's people, there's different types of hunters. There's collectors, which I, um, all of these types, there's nothing wrong with any of them. Sure. They're just different people. They're different personalities. They're I definitely different. want to hear this. Yeah. So yeah. there's collectors. And what a collector is, he goes, okay, I want to hit, I want to shoot a 200 inch mule deer. Once okay. that happens, he sets mule deer aside, check the box. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I want to shoot a 370 bull elk. Right. Set that aside. Now I'm, okay. Now I'm going to, now I want to shoot sheep and I want to get a grand slam, right. all the species. And they're collectors. Yeah. Then there's guys that are hunters that really what they're about is the adventure and the trophy size or the, or the, uh, if it's not a huge adventure, eh, it's okay. It was fun, but not great. Then there's guys that we call specialists and they'll focus on one species. They'll like, yeah, I'll shoot a mule deer, but I love elk. That is my deal. Mm -hmm. Having an 800 pound animal screaming his head off at 30 yards. That's, you know, that's what gets me off. That's my deal. And then there's guys with mule deer. They're like, yeah, elk hunting's fun. You know, it's a different time of year. It's a different thing. But I really like going on a high country mule deer hunt where it's like sheep hunting, but they're mule deer and you're in their backyard and they're, you know, they're, it's a different hunt, different right. type of hunt. And there's guys that are sheep hunters. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've never got the sheep bug, which is yep. weird. I'm a weird one in my family. <clears throat> um, my brother has a sheep bug. My grandfather had the sheep bug. And that means, you know, their pinnacle, what they, what they strived, the best thing they could do in their life is kill sheep. And, and some of them are, I want to kill as many, uh, you know, as many grand slams I can, or I want to, I just love dull sheep hunting or, right. or I just want to hunt sheep, period. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so high country mule deer for, for me 
is a is a. Do you have that bug? Are you what, what do you bug? what do you consider yourself in that in those categories? <laughs> You're this is gonna. I'm gonna get so much hate mail over this. <laughs> I actually love antelope hunting. Do you really? Yes, it is. It is one of the coolest thing, in my opinion, one of the coolest things because. When you're talking about a mediocre elk versus a big elk, you're talking 20 to 30 inches. Yeah. There's a lot of room to go, well, he's 27 inches bigger than a, a mediocre bull. Right. When you're talking a mediocre antelope versus a trophy antelope, one that goes in the book, you're talking inches, two inches, 78 inch goat versus an 80 inch goat. Yep. 78 inch goat, people don't even pay attention. 80 inch goat, now you've hit, now you've hit that threshold. Yep. Right. Two inches, one inch on each side. And there's four measurements on each antler. So it could be a quarter of an inch on every measurement. Takes it from mediocre to a boon crock. Got it. And so I love that. The other thing I really love is it's a great place to start hunting. Yep. Because you see tons of animals. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to take kids or, or beginner. Really? You see tons of animals, tons of bucks. You have lots of opportunities. If you mess one up, it's okay. We'll go down the road and two miles later, we'll have another opportunity. Huh. And another opportunity. Right. And another opportunity. The weather's usually not bad, so you're not, you know, you're not, you're not having to embrace the suck with with new hunters, because nothing turns a new hunter off than nope. take them on a backcountry six mile death march in six inches of snow and they're freezing their ass off in a tent all night. That that's one of the main concerns that I have with my with my daughters, and so turkey hunting's great because yep. I'll just yep. sit in the blind. They can the bring it. Nice. Yep. They bring in a bunch of toys and they're playing in there. Yep. You know, it's kind of fun, right? Yep. And they get yep. to, you know, they're they're calling. Yep. I mean, it's all they mess up. it up. They're all messed deal. up. Yep. Who cares? There's yep. another turkey down there. Right. You know, there's yep. two more coming around the corner. Who yep. cares? Yep. But so that's, yeah, that's that, why I love antelope hunting. That's um, interesting. And then, can, and then you can take that it, beginner and you can take it to a trophy level where, where you know, I'm I'm I, I have got to kill me a Boone and Crockett. Colorado. I've got one in Wyoming. I right. haven't done it in Colorado. I've killed 10 antelope in Colorado and I've missed it Boone and Crockett twice. And, and, and just, what's your preferred um, device, hunting device? Um, I'm a rifle. I okay. antelope hunt rifle because yeah. bow, you're at another level of hell. Oh, I know. That's so what I was asking. You're either sitting in a blind <laughs> at 95 degrees. <laughs> I was asking. Or, or uh, your spot and stock, which antelope's eyes Spot are, and stock animal. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It was like spot spot and stock antelope is next level shit. I got, like, I've done it once and went, right. okay, I'm going to go kill a Boone and Crockett before I come back to this hell. Mm -hmm. Right. Because um, their eyes are an eight power. They have an eight power eye. And, which is incredible. Yeah. And, and you know, they have a, a good sense of smell plus everything else. You know, you're, you're hunting them on the on the face of the moon pretty much. So there's right. not a lot of ter terrain yeah. to break it up. So it's it's fun. It's a good time. And where are those, where are they indigenous to what region? So. Uh, Was their original, their original. Well, they're actually a prehistoric animal. Are they really? Yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. They're one of the only North American animals that were pre that is, is not evolved much since huh. prehistoric times. Wow. Um, so the epicenter of antelope is Wyoming. Right. We have almost 500,000 antelope in Wyoming, which is right. more than we have people. Yep. And then the next biggest state is Montana. It has 150,000. Yeah. It's yeah. stupid difference. Wow. Yeah. And then you go to Colorado, it has like 80,000. Right. I mean, it's the epicenter is Wyoming. For antelope hunting. And it, but what, I guess my question is, is, so, and that's been the circumstance, we'll, we'll call it in modern North American history. Right. That's been the epicenter yep. of specifically Wyoming. Yep. They need, they need plains. They have a, they have a really uh, interesting diet. They're, they're, people think they're a goat. They're not. 
They're, mm-hmm. They are their own species. They are not a deer species. They're not part of the goat family. They are their own because they're prehistoric. Right. So they need a very wide, wide but narrow range of food, meaning they eat sagebrush. So it has to have lots of sagebrush. Right. That's how they survive winters. Uh-huh. They have to have what's called winter fat, which is a plant that they eat during the winter that is extremely high in protein, uh, which is has to be at a certain elevation, but it has to have the certain a, a growing season that's the right length, certain elevation, and it has to have a certain amount of sun. So it's a weird place and just happens that Wyoming is mostly what they call a high desert. So mm-hmm. 5,000 above, 4,000 right. and above, which is perfect for their habitat. But did you say that plant is called winter fat? Winter fat, yep. That's the name of the plant. Yep. So what's that look like? Uh, it's a. It looks almost like it almost looks like a moss with little tiny leaves and you touch it and it's very uh, brittle, but it'll, you know, it's pokey. Interesting. Yeah, and they eat that. In the winter. Huh. Really neat stuff. Cows love it too. Cows right. Love it. So can you do, uh, like, because the, the population is a half a million in Wyoming, is that an easy out-of-state OTC? Uh, we or? have, there's no antelope tags in Wyoming that are OTC for antelope. No? Okay. But... We have areas that have leftover tags every year. So you okay. go to the eastern side over by Sheridan, yep. Gillette. There's areas over there that have leftover tags. You can get one every year if you want. Really? There are some struggles because it's a lot more private over there. Mm-hmm. And there's inholdings of, of public around private. And, mm-hmm. But there is hunting opportunity. If you want to shoot an antelope every year, <clears throat> easily done in Wyoming. Got it. Not going to shoot a boon or a crockett. Yeah. Right. But an antelope, every year you can do that. So... Is that your favorite, uh, we'll call it wild meat or wild game too, to eat? No. Or so what do you I prefer to eat? high country mule deer. Okay. High country mule deer. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they, Why? Um, Wyoming, our high country deer have a very uh, lush summer mm-hmm. pasture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's above 9,000, above 7,000 to, to 12,000 feet. So it's very lush, which they put, they pack on the fat mm-hmm. big time. And then when, if you take one, the 15th of September, a lot of our areas open. You take one and he's barely out of velvet. So he hasn't gone through all right. of the rut stuff. Um, there, it's it's yep. amazing. Amazing meat. Huh. You cook it on a Traeger or a pellet grill. Yeah, yeah. And my kids, my two girls, are they're young. Oldest is 10. You wrap that in a piece of bacon. One of, like I shoot a deer yeah. every year. You wrap that in a piece of bacon and put just salt and pepper on it. Throw it on the Traeger. Cook it till it's pink still red and running red right throw it out on a plate it will be gone they'll eat that before they eat anything else on the table yeah it's amazing amazing i've seen that with my kids my kids they know when it's moose night for instance <laughs> yeah like clean their plates yep not a yep. problem they will not do that if i gave them kobe you know <laughs> yep. beef or that the, the most expensive steak we could buy. I've never tried that experiment, but they'll clean it out yep, with so moose. moose. We have a game at our house and it's what kind of elk is this is what my, my three-year-old will say <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and so for the most part, how it usually works is my wife, Rachel, she likes to cook elk. Like she likes, mm-hmm. that's her thing um, is when, so she really learned and experimented with that. Right. Um, and so the kids love eating that but with the ground meat that we have there's like 
small kids, we do a lot of like casserole type of things yeah. just because it's really easy, easy for her to prepare. And Same so we do. there's easy, always easy a game. for an infant to grab yes, off the table. Right. Yeah. Well, and Ian's funny. You put meat in front of him. He, he eats that like nobody's business. He's like, his dad eats everything in sight. <laughs> and so um, it's fun seeing them evolve and grow, but we've also, you know, I didn't live in a great place to waterfowl hunt any time till I moved to Powell. Yeah. And so I, I, I done it, but not, not to the extent that I'm able to do now. Mm-hmm. And so adding that now is that turned into, is this chicken or duck? Is it dark girls? It's dark meat. Okay. That is duck or goose. You know, they, so they, they're learning this process and growing through that. But really the only meat that we have in our house that isn't game is chicken. I mean, everything else is, is something that I've harvested and, and hopefully my kids eventually will be harvesting too. My youngest is hilarious. Shoot, last winter, we're driving out of our out of our house and we hit the county road. And we're we turn on the county road and somebody had hit a deer that morning. And there's a there's a, a dead doe along the side, stiffer in a board. It's November. It's cold. You know, she goes, Dad, did you see that deer? I said, Yeah. She goes, Can we eat that deer? I said, No, it got hit by a car. She goes, Oh man. Can you kill another deer? I got we got a whole freezer full of deer. And she's like, But we can always have more, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As many as you want. How old are your kids? Eight and 10. Okay. Then now I've got a, a five, a three, and an 18-month-old. Solid. Yeah. Number four on the way. So they're giving me a hard time about wondering where, if I know where that actually comes from. Yes, I do. I'm aware. <laughs> right. You yeah. know how to fix that problem, right? Yes, I'm aware of that too. <laughs> yeah, you spend more time hunting. <laughs> right? Is that problem. what you're saying? I think that's the problem because the kids are all born in the same months. Well... The problem is the coming back after a hunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the the separation that. turns yeah. into, you know, hey, let's enjoy this for reading right. a little bit. So I understand that. Hey, what do you, your kids? Well, I have uh, three and seven, and, um, you know, they're two girls. So mm-hmm. I, I hit the lottery. I got two little learning patients like me. I did not grow up with girls in my household, and I have no idea how to no. do that. I, I grew up with my dad after the pay, after the age of nine. So it was just he and I. And so, uh, and then I was in an all male profession my entire adult life until 37. So uh, yeah, it's a learning experience. And I would imagine, you know, my, my girls will, might be a little bit more rough around the edges than a lot of girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. might not accept a lot of excuses out of people. I don't know. Drama. I'm just, you I'm know. I'm what drama is and it is not accepted in my house. And my wife goes a lot. She goes, you have no idea how bad this is going to get. I'm like, no, it's not accepted. She goes, yeah, you, you just keep saying that. I, uh, I have a, a rafting company in Idaho. I'm part owner in, in the middle fork of the salmon. And so... Uh, I've got a, a whole. I, I I bought into this company way before I had Black Rifle Coffee with the specific intent that as my I knew I was going to have kids. I right. didn't know when, but with the intent of getting them on the river all summer long, away from because it's the middle fork of the salmon in yeah. the middle of the Frank Church Wilderness. There's going to be no cell phones. Right. You're going to yep. be rowing boats and hoisting coolers and building fires and pitching tents, yep. but. And dealing with upset clients and, yep. exactly. and happy clients. And- yeah. And so that, that before I I had even met my wife, my wife and I, I think when we were talking about it, she's like, why did you, why did you even do that? I was like, ah, I know that I'm going to have kids someday. And I know that this will give them an incredible opportunity to mm-hmm. work really hard 
be a little bit scared at times and yep. a few things. So I look forward to those opportunities, especially with um, with my girls, right? And now, as we get older, I'm 44 as of last month, and that's one of my 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 agendas for their future is my daughter that's seven. This will be her first year to go down the river with us. It's a hundred nice. miles, and uh, we'll. Throw her ass in the water and make sure that she can swim. No, she's she's a great <laughs> swimmer. She's gonna have a blast. So, one of the questions I had was, when you guys are are organizing your media for the year, mm-hmm. uh, how many different products are you guys activating across the board? And and you kind of did an inventory, but I, I'm just. Wondering, it seems like a ton of individual content in different categories. And do you, who runs that? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, one of the things that dictates what we do is obviously sponsor contracts. So we have mm-hmm. we have to produce, you know, X amount of of Eastman Elevated podcasts every right. year. Uh, we have to produce X amount of TV shows because the Outdoor Channel expects us to do so many right. news versus yep. so many renewals or uh, uh, reruns. Um, we have to do so many beyond the grids because, but, you know, the way it's structured. But in that, you add a, a level of complexity because you have to draw the tags. Yeah. So out West, we have so many tags that we have to put in. Right. And then the complexity of, okay, great, we drew the tag. We have to capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. So there's a margin of error there. There's a margin. I mean, it, it's, it has been... Uh, 35 years worth of experience uh, learning where that sweet spot is. Yeah. And, and you know, how many do we hold over for next year? And how many do we, can we, you know, we have a short year. Nobody drew any tags. We had a horrible, you know, September. Nobody killed anything. Right. How do we stretch this out? Yeah. That type of stuff. Um, I would say, I, I would say it's a group effort. My brother does a lot of it because he's, mm-hmm. he's, like I said, he's a savant with numbers and being yeah. able to look at something and, Say, okay, this is how many tags we have. This is how many we should be able to get. Um, this is the TV shows we should have. Uh, he does a lot of the nuts and bolts of it. But the group as a whole says, yeah, yeah. let's do this. You know, this worked last time. Let's do this with an added twist of that. And we have these three in the can and we have these three potentials yep. if we get short. You know, let's go bear hunting in the in the spring or let's do a cat hunt or right. uh, we, do a, we do a prairie dog killing spree. <laughs> Here, which is a blast. YouTube yeah. loves that one. No, yeah. YouTube always, always <laughs> yeah. age restricts it because there's 150, yeah. you know, YouTube Nazis. But um, so it's uh, it, it's it is, I guess it it is. It takes a group effort, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not easy. Yeah, I'm just wondering how many how many hunts like do you guys have a, a, a how I, many hunts are you guys? Oh my gosh, we have we have yeah. six people that hunt. And we do almost mm. 45 hunts a year as a group. Wow. On mule deer alone, like, because, you know, this is, you know, I don't, on mule deer alone, I spent eight days scouting. Right. Like, then that's eight days where I was back there and I found the buck that I wanted. Then I spent another six hunting and I was prepared to come back for a week, finish my obligations and go do another six if I had to. Right. To, but that's how much effort goes into that one show. And, like I was talking about the specialist. I love mule deer. Like, so that's so you're where, a specialist. Yes. Is that where you're okay? Mm-hmm. And so that was me, but I spent 
what was it, 10 weeks this year? You know, I was basically every other week hunting yeah, spent, and he was I 10. spent almost 12 weeks in the field from from the 1st of September, well, a few days before the 1st of September um, until it was well into November when mm-hmm. when I was done out of the field. I mean, I, I my wife calls herself a widow, a hunting widow mm-hmm. yeah. in the fall, which is a struggle with kids, but that's the life we live. And, right. and uh, you know, it could be way worse. I could be two weeks on, two weeks off, or I could be deployed for X amount of months and not see them. So it's, it's, uh, it's fun. And we were really blessed to do it. Uh, is there challenges? Absolutely. But right. It's a lot. It is a lot. And I would say out of the 12 weeks, I only hunted three hunts for myself, four, four hunts for myself. Yeah. The rest of them were, were you know, we, content trips. Yeah. Well, basically, we, or we media draw or... out of our subscriber base for uh, the bow hunting journal. We draw mm-hmm. a hunt. And one winter, and we take him to Colorado on a ranching for wildlife hunt, right. and, which is a lot of fun. You get to take a guy that would never have that opportunity otherwise, right? And put him in a situation where they're they're seeing twenty bulls a day screaming their heads off, and you know, yeah. one hundred and fifty head of elk, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, and then we do a couple antelope hunts uh, where we draw people out of our digital list, and we take them antelope hunting. Um, I did uh, this year. One of our really good friends been waiting 13 years and drew an elk tag. And so Guy and I spent eight days with him. And actually, we had the guys from Phil Craft up there filming. Oh, nice. It yeah, was yeah. fun. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And it was really adverse. It was late November, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is two feet of snow on the ground. And there was days that we couldn't leave camp because you couldn't see anything. And it was below zero weather and adversity with somebody from Kentucky not being comfortable shooting 400 yards, right. and wind and yep. other hunters because it's public land. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to watch somebody like that that's been dreaming about this his entire life mm-hmm. and yep. and help him uh, accomplish something. Was, you know, that's that. My hunts are fun. You know, I killed 200-inch mm-hmm. mule deer. I hit that mark, which is great right. this year. But I think the hunts that I went with other people and shared their experiences is just as fun. So now, granted, I know, you know, this conversation is more about hunting, but are you guys, would you classify yourself as all around sportsmen? So do you spend a lot of time fishing, hunting, and like, what are all the other things that you guys get into? I fly fish a lot. Okay. Um, I just got back from over the holidays. I took my family to Mexico and I do flats fishing down there, which is so much fun. It's a blast. When you catch 40 bonefish in a day Mm -hmm. and throw it. At three permit and actually had a permit on for a split second. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. Um, fly fish in the summer as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do, of course, my kids love to go camping and we we do a little spin fishing and that stuff. Uh, this time of year, in fact, that's where I was this last weekend. I snowmobile. Yeah. I do a ton of snowmobiling, uh, especially in weather like we just had the right. a storm of the not century, storm of a decade and uh, four foot of fresh snow and and I do a lot of backcountry snowmobiling, which is a blast. Um, yeah, I mean, it's we do wing shooting, mm-hmm. do a, a yep. ton of wing shooting. I never got into uh, ice fishing. I, I just mm-hmm. that there's just no offense on that. For I don't me. really know. I do know of a few guys that do it, but I don't know of a, so many guys <laughs> that love it. Right? Which is is that is that you? Yes. <laughs> And and let me be let me be you grew clear. Up in Rock Springs, there's nothing else to do in the winter. So okay, <laughs> I, I shouldn't advertise, but there's this lake there by Rock Springs. I won't name it because you know I know it's gotten very popular. Um, and unfortunately, with the move, my opportunities to ice fish haven't been as strong. But before the move, go winter time was my time to go ice fishing. I don't right. fl- I don't fly fish. Number one, I'm 
the really good times to fly fish are when I'm scouting for mule deer. So right. you, you have to pick at some point too, yeah. even though being, you know, trying to be an all around outdoorsman, I wanted to spend the time in the summer looking for big mule deer, which opened up my time in the winter that if I had two days, I was going to go ice fishing. And so previous, um, previous full-time career, even though I'm still doing this volunteer, um, is that I was a full-time youth pastor. And so your, your time was very strange that you get two days off in the middle of the week. Like you don't get weekends. And so I'd go out in the, on the lake with this, you know, 18 inches of ice and there's nobody out there. And it's like playing a video game. You take this fish finder and you drop it into 85 to 100 feet of water and you watch your jig. It shows up on the fish finder and you watch coming up from the bottom, these 20 inch Lakers, you know, right. and those are pups, you know, those are, just, those are just the little Lakers. I've got friends. I was not the guy who was good at finding the big fish. When I wanted to go try and get big fish, I'd go with the same guy I talked about, my best friend in Rock Springs. And they'll catch those 25, 30 pounders. Um, you know, there's a couple of friends I've got that are posting pictures right now, but they blur the background of the ridge that's behind them. Of course. So other people can't right. see where they're catching these big fish. But to catch the, the giant Lakers, you got to follow the ice. So you're literally on like, you can see where the edge of the ice is in relation to where it's freezing up. That's okay. Safe. Uh, you're on 18 inches of ice, right? Like you're as safe as can be. Like there was one time my buddy, he um, took his, his anchor and he's on a boat. And so he's following the edge of the ice because the big fish follow the edge of the ice. So he's on his boat, tosses his anchor to this hole in the ice. It was this like big thing like this. Right. He tossed it in there to hold him in place so he could jig. Because on those big, those really big Lakers, you want to use like a, like a bass casting type of, of reel because right. if you use a spinner, you've got these big jigs like this, you know, they're, they're six, seven inches long and they'll sit there and spin if you use a spinning rod and those right. big fish don't like it. So you want them sitting on the very bottom and, you know, Travis had me convinced, he's like, dude, those big fish, they come up to your jig and they just sit there and stare at it like this. Until, <laughs> yeah. You know, because you see this giant put an eye on, on it. your yeah. fish finder. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, and you'll see him start like gumming it. And, you know, and he's telling the story where it's like, they're gumming it like the whole time. Then all of a sudden, you'll see your line go slack and you got to set it on 100 feet of water. Jesus, so you got to take this take this, this pole and usually they use like a long pole. So you're sitting right. way back from your hole looking at your fish finder clear over there and you got to jump up and set it because you're getting rid of all the slack in the line right. that's there plus the stretch. And so that was half the battle. But... It is, it's pretty surreal when you get it up a hundred feet of water and that fish, it'll be lethargic on the first fight. It'll come up and all of a sudden you'll get it to the hole. And a lot of times, you know, the normal hole on an ice is like this. But if you want to get one of those big 20 plus pounders through, you got to drill three holes and then you got to use your bar and scrape the edges so you don't cut your line. And then what happens is they'll come up all the way up to the top and then they'll see you. And then that big fish, you, you got to make sure that you're right. ready just to let that drag go because they're going to go. And so then you wear them out and bring them up. There was, and there was one time I had, this wasn't a long pull, um, but I'm standing back and the ice is as clear as can be, you know, because there are days where you've got snow on it. Then the next day you go out and it's completely gone because the drifts right. are gone and the ice is as clear as it can be. And I'm standing back several feet from the hole and this fish had hit and its head is right here in front of me and its tail's behind my feet. Like these are just giant How Lakers. Many so 20 is, 20 is considered, that's kind of like your holy grail mark when you're looking for these big Lakers. Um, but to really, really, really get into the big fish, they're 35 plus on this lake. I, I, I kid you not. There are guys who catch 35 plus on this lake in a hundred feet of water every single year. 
And so are they long or just fat? All and above. Jeez. Like um Buddy Travis That's has a picture right where he's holding it right here. And Travis is a little bit taller than you. So he's not a huge guy, but he's holding it right here. And you got a laker that's right here. This is freshwater fishing. And so that's the drive. But what's even crazier is you can move, you know, two miles back upstream in, in the, it's a reservoir. So water's moving and you get into the channel. And so you can go catch big fish in the morning. Then in the afternoon, you go catch uh, like, I think it's a limit of 12 right now. I'd have to go check the regs, but it was a limit of six when I was living there. And so you go, go home with these, these 20 inch pups, you know, <laughs> and you know, my wife would make a soup. She loved, she loved ice fishing too. You know, she was actually using mad cause she's working at the school, but she loved it cause we'd pop the hut up, get the, you know, get the heater going and she's in there with me and we're, you know, we're reeling it in and you can see it on the fish finder and you're fighting over who's going to jig that fish. Fish and you know, and then sometimes you catch two at a time, and your lines get tangled up, and you're pulling strings and all that. It's 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 organized chaos, but it's a blast. But most people don't describe ice fishing that way. You see a picture in the Midwest and Minnesota of guys just popping up perch, popping up perch, yeah. filling a bucket. To me, that's not exciting. The adventure was that I had to I had to pull a sled. Um, there are guys I know who did it out of a backpack because they're chasing the big fish. Right. It's not a so you drill a whole fish and then uh-huh. run up drill yep. another whole fish. Yeah. So you're chasing them. It's not, it's not drilling one hole yeah, exactly. sitting on a bucket all day. No, it's that's a my experience up. of it. I, yeah. I've come to the conclusion I think I had a, I have a root canal every one of those days. My best friend's a huge ice fisherman. <laughs> he loves it. Not my deal. Well, he doesn't like snowmobiling. So here's a here's a funny one with with ice fishing. So apparently, like, and, and Travis always brought a bottle of Gatorade with him. I never understood why. I was like, what is this? And well, one morning he didn't know the area as well. He's like, we're trying a new spot. So he does a chipper bar and he pours Gatorade in there. Then he'd stick his sonar on there to test the depth, so he didn't have to bid, like pop out a big hole. Well, apparently Gatorade works for sonar on top of there. I think water works too, but he's like, I tried Gatorade one time and it just seemed to work a little bit better. So he's testing the depth on top of the ice. Normally you'd have to pop a hole through, put your sonar in to test it, you know, that sort of so you thing. you pour Gatorade on top of the ice? Yeah, he, you chip a little hole and you poured the Gatorade in, and stuck then the that sonar, sonar in. Through it ice. worked a little bit better for whatever reason. I, you know, now granted we're talking... 11 or 12 when we're doing this, you know, so maybe there's some new technology with ice fishing stuff, but this is, these are all the, you know, if you want to get, go into a wormhole and see as redneck a possible thing as you possibly can go get on the ice shanty. Like really? Oh, the stuff that you could do. And and I'm not too proud to admit that I made my own sleds at first. And then I'm like, you know what? <laughs> this is terrible to be cheap. I'll just go get my own ice fishing sled at Ace. So I'm getting ready to go down. I'll be at the Daytona this week. So I'm going down to Florida mm-hmm. to go bass fishing. And last year I went down. So it's with uh, Johnny Morris and a bunch of those, mm-hmm. bunch, of, bunch of guys from the Bass Pro Cabela side. And <clears throat> it was wild. It was the first time I'd been fishing in a spot like that for bass like that. And, uh, you know, using live bait mm-hmm. and it's, Never done that. Blast. Is it? it? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Because you're catching, you know, five pound bass, you know, five, six pound bass, and they're they're huge. And they fight. And they fight. (laughs) And the, you know, the weather last year was great. And then obviously you go to Daytona 500, which is a blast, you know. Yeah, it was great. And this year, so Matt and I are going down, Matt Best and I are going down. And, we also went out and went um, um, used to bow fishing. Oh yeah! Mm-hmm. So we were shooting. Harp. Oh yeah, 
<clears throat> those are incredible. Like it's so yeah. much fun. So you go out with the spotlights at night with the yep. bows and JP is, he's like a, a world-class bow fisherman. So the, I, I think it's like the tilapia or I forget, like there are these huge fish. I forget what they were. You're on, out and shooting these massive fish and then bringing them in. And then ultimately you're, you know, dicing them up and oh, cool. throwing them in the frying pan. Yeah. It was incredible. This is in Florida? Doing? Yeah, it's oh, in okay. Florida. So it's just outside of uh, Daytona where yeah. every, now every year, I think, I mean, until they stop inviting me, I guess, <laughs> you know, until I, until I stop being a good friend. <laughs> I don't know. I keep... Keep waiting for that. Like, oh, hey, we're we're gonna do this one alone, guys. <laughs> oh man! All right. Hey, isn't it? Uh, isn't it February? Shouldn't I be getting a new fire? <laughs> I know. What happened to that? Hey, uh, <laughs> what about February? <laughs> no, I'm. Hello, hello. Is anybody out there? I've never actually done a lot of bass fishing because I grew up in Idaho. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I grew up fly fishing. I built a fly rod when I was, I don't know, eleven or something like that, and I grew up fly fishing and using casting bubbles and flies and on, yeah. you know, trout. Oh. That's where, what where we do. Where did you grow up? Lewiston. Oh, okay. Yeah, everybody's familiar with Lewiston, especially if they're sportsmen. They're, yeah. yeah, the confluence of the snake and the Clearwater yeah. River. Some of the best steelhead fishing in the Oh, yeah. Water. Yeah. It's a little, I don't know, 10 years ago, it was a little sketchy. I mean, it was, it's freaking backwoods there. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I love it. This year... uh I got together with my buddy, uh, Brian Bentz, and they do aluminum boats. So this year, Matt and I are headed up the river with our Black Rifle Coffee aluminum boat, do some sturgeon fishing. So, I mean, that's a heck of a ride. Mm -hmm. Have you guys done that yet? Not. I have not. That's that's on my list. The guys, yeah. the guys from Cryptic keep asking me to come. Oh, yeah. I need to do it. It's well, just... a few years ago, I, I did. I caught a nine and a half foot sturgeon. Jeez. And it's wow. it looks like a dolphin. Yeah. I mean, a prehistoric weird right. dinosaur dolphin. I don't know right. how to describe it. It's it's such a wild experience. So the deal you can't take them out of the water because all the photos I see that everybody's standing yeah. in the water. So you can't take them out of the water. No. So it's a catch and release. Yeah, thing. it's catch and release. And you you know, I think I've done a little bit of it throughout my entire life. I was fortunate enough to catch a really big sturgeon several years ago. And I, it's boring too. Is it? You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. you 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 sit throw. Wait. Yeah, you yeah. sit around and wait and wait for it and wait for it, and then then once the fight begins, obviously that's 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 fun. But okay, I'd rather catch. I'd rather catch like steelhead, or I'd mm -hmm. rather catch you know cutthroat. Especially if we're if 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 I'm if I have my preferred method of fishing in. What I like to do is I like, you know, really epic locations in the mountains, whether it's like Northern Washington, Idaho, Montana. I like fly fishing. I like typically wearing my swim trunks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. swim nice trunks, and nice and warm, throwing flies, yep. looking at the catch or looking at the hatch. And that's my favorite type of fishing, mm -hmm. like the favorite. Right. And then the early fall, uh, which is always a conflict for hunting season, but the early fall when the water starts to get a little bit colder and it's right. still pretty low, and you, it turns into wader fishing. But I really like because it's quiet, everybody's hunting, there's not a lot of travel, right? So throwing flies that time of year is is one of my favorite things to do. But now I, I caught the hunting bug, 
So yeah, I heard you killed a couple bulls this year, which is awesome. Yeah, one here in Utah, uh, rifle, and one in Colorado. Another uh, Johnny Morris trip. Uh, he's my uh, we'll call it sportsman. Um, I don't know what you'd call him. He keeps giving me cool shit to... to, to <laughs> Your adventure plan. Yeah, he's like, yeah, why don't you come and do this thing? I'm like, okay. One thing I've learned is you never say no. Yeah, Because if he texts you and asks you to do you something, you're like, you're like, no, well, too, it's, he puts on epic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you never say no. Whatever he's got, yes, of course. He, I didn't even say anything, you know, Bill. Yes, of course, I'll be there. Right? It's just a standing yes, of course. Yes, it's just a standing yes, of course, outside of, you know, uh, uh, some type of, of major surgery, you know, or major life event. I'm always going to be there. Um, but before we jump off, I wanted to talk about where can people find you guys? Uh, like, what are you guys doing this year? What's super exciting that you want to talk about as far as uh, the company's concerned? Cool. Um, find us on social, Eastman's mm-hmm. Hunting Journals. Right. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Putting out a ton of content every single week. Uh, Eastman's Elevated podcast is weekly. So there's... And Brian Barney, our host there, does an awesome job talking about hunting strategies and everything from archery to rifle and entertaining guests, cool stuff. Um, one of the cool things that we have this year that's that's new in the last 12 months is our Tag Hub, which is our research tool. It's our online research tool, which will help help the guys out there learn, you know, for instance, Wyoming antelope. We were talking about right. that. What, Where can I put in for antelope? And if I don't draw it, is there over-the-counter or leftover tag opportunities? You know, the mule deer. What can I, if I want to shoot a mule deer every year, where do I, what state yeah. out west can I do that? Over-the-counter archery elk. Idaho, Colorado, where do I do that? So that's right. taghub.eastmans.com. Um, lots of cool things that are coming up with that as we morph and change it, and it's forever growing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it's we have a ton of things coming out. We have, of course, COVID's kind of screwed a lot of our adventure hunting, yeah. which is sucks. I mean, there's we had uh, Namibia planned mm-hmm. last year that didn't happen. We tried to do it again this year. That's not going to happen, and um, so hopefully next year. Got some other things in the works. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a neat year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. And yep. hopefully uh, they decide to turn the COVID off and we're good to go. But I hope so, man. I really do. Like I, I really, I've got a spring black bear hunt that I really want to get done in Canada and BC. And it's one of the things I've been looking forward to for a couple of years. And I just can't seem to get it done. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, a, it's a pain in the ass because last year I was up there and there, and I was moose hunting and there's tons of black bear. They're yeah. everywhere. They got big bears. And they got, yeah, they got big bear. So I'm, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get up there. To, Is that a spring hunt? Mm-hmm. Spring. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to get it. I, I'm doing a spring brown bear hunt this year, which is, yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to be really fun because they didn't do much hunting last year. So I'm hoping we see some big bears and I can't wait. I can't wait to get up there. I've never been uh, in that Kodiak area. It's not on Kodiak. It's on the peninsula, but I can't wait to get up there. Well, dang guys, I appreciate everything well, you. you're doing. Thanks for having uh, us. Too. Yeah. And subscribe, check them out over at... Uh, Eastmans.com. Eastmans.com. Subscribe. This has been around for a long time. It's an incredible resource. Uh, I know I'm a fan, so I appreciate you guys stopping in. Thanks for having us. 